Our most gracious and loving Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much that we can come tonight and sit and listen to your word. Lord, I pray that when we go out of this place that we can share with others what they need to hear. Lord, we live in a crazy world and we can't do anything about it, but you can. So Lord, let us be your hands, your feet, your voice wherever we can to reach others and to explain what is happening. Lord, I ask you to be with Jim as he teaches tonight and be with us as we listen and soak it in. In your precious name I pray, Lord. Amen. 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 We are Daniel chapter 2. We're going to be doing the second part. The reason we're in Daniel and we've gone back there, some of you I was looking at uh, another setting, you've gone through Daniel with us, but I'm getting as excited about it and as much out of it as I get the first time, or got the first time. We've had basically uh, two classes today, we'll do the second part of chapter 2, and uh, that will start with verse 24, and you will uh, you'll pick it up there. Daniel is vital to us because it is the book in the Bible. We know that if you are in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've trusted in him as your savior, that you are in the book of Daniel. And I say that with great thoughtfulness. And the thing about Daniel also we must know is that Daniel is the single most criticized book in the Old Testament, perhaps in the whole Bible. And the reason is that Daniel is prophetically profound. Uh, he, he does not make mistakes, and the Bible doesn't make mistakes pro prophetically, but Daniel predicts many things that have already happened and many things that will happen. And some are just, predictions are incredibly outstanding. Some play things very minute, some very important, but they all fit in God's plan. There's a book that was written back in the turn of the last century, and it was really, Daniel was under great fire in uh, what we call the 20th century, the 1900s, and uh, an eminent scholar out of Princeton, Princeton actually had some biblical scholars in those days, and he wrote a book, Daniel in the Critics' Den, and if you ever want to get a book to read, it's still very good. Uh, when we finish Daniel, I'm going to take a time, uh, and this will be strictly optional for you to come, to, to look at Daniel critically. And not that I criticize it, I mean to demonstrate that in our hand we have the Word of God. It was given through the prophet Daniel by God, and we know that the Word of God, as it points out again and again, is given to us, and the original autographs, that is the original copies, are without error. And uh, I, I have no question about that, and Daniel demonstrates that. I mentioned to this class that uh, I was speaking on Daniel one time to a big academic group at a large university here in, this, in uh, Texas, and I was speaking to a campus crusade group that night, and almost all the freshman class was there, a big chunk of them, 300 freshmen. And I talked about the historicity of Daniel. And, uh, you know, you thought I was going to give them all a Lamborghini at the end there. Oh, my goodness. And I said, 
you know, I, I, I'm glad you're enjoying this, but what, what's going on? I asked one of them, a bunch of them came up as soon as we were through. They said, our Bible class, Bible history class, we have to take as freshmen here at this university. Uh, the professor taught on Daniel today that it was not written by Daniel, but it was written by someone in the time of the Maccabees or the second century BC, the Maccabean period, basically starts about 180 and goes with a fair amount of power up to about 4 BC and then it tends to fade away. But the, the, the Maccabean period, they, the critics still say today, and he had said that, and I, it kind of ticks me off. I didn't want to you know, get angry and go give him a, such a shot. But uh, the, uh, we know now that he, he, he did the classical argument. And the argument he gave, many of the things he used have been definitely put aside. And if you get to someone who really does stay with what's happening, they may not be they may be liberal scholars, they don't really believe the Bible is the word of God, but they will not, if they keep up with things, come to Daniel and try to disprove it. As one of my closest friends and professor when I was in college and friends from then on, Bruce Walkie, said there is, a, there is a great silence hanging over the book of Daniel from the liberal side. So we will touch on that as we go, but mainly I want to say to you today that we are looking at something that is supernatural. And if Daniel wrote Daniel, and he did, you have something in your hand that could only be given by God. And uh, I would debate that with anyone at any time. And nobody's debating it anymore because they lose the other side. So we want to be on that. We first looked at Daniel 1, which was the coming of the four freshmen to uh, Babylonia, uh, to Babylon, and they entered Nebuchadnezzar University. Uh, they were the four frosh, the fearsome foursome, and they started their education at uh, 606. If you study Babylonian history, Middle Eastern history, you'll find that they would. Uh, they are there three years, and, and this course was three years long. There were not only people from uh, Judah, that's where these four came from, our heroes in this book, but from many of the countries that the Babylonians had conquered. And they uh, went to the university, the university of, uh, I call it Nebuchadnezzar uh, University, Nebu, uh, they went there and they graduated. It was a three-year course. Now, they must have been a lot smarter than, than I am. We, we go to, my seminary course was four years and then my undergraduate was three years. It took me seven years. They got out of the three and boy, they knew a lot more than I'll ever know. So I'd like to have been in that course. But at any rate, when they graduated, they went into the service of the king. And this king, is one that is remarkable and one of the most uh, effective kings, rulers in ancient history. Uh, he is he, the second king in what we call the second Babylonian empire. The first Babylonian empire goes back to just before the time of Father Abraham, 
which basically is 2000 uh, BC. But then you have the second kingdom. And the first king of the second Babylonian kingdom was a king named Nebopolassar. And that was Nebuchadnezzar's father. Now, if I slip, Nebuchadnezzar is really the way you say his name in Aramaic. But we'll call him Nebuchadnezzar. It's a little bit easier to work with. But he was a great king. He really was. And he's also will become a great king spiritually. Because this guy, for he was a hothead. Uh, some kings are. And when whatever you say, everybody does, you, you tend to stay with, you know, speaking your mind because it comes the law, becomes the law. But he also was a man who realized when he heard truth, he was hearing it. So he is truly a remarkable man. And so we don't want to miss this because in one sense, this book is the biography of his life. The four main characters we see, of course, are Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They are all nobility from Judah. They lived in Jerusalem. And when Babylon finally took over everything in 609, they had their final huge battle, the Battle of Carchemish. They took over and they eventually will just totally take over all of the land they had, all of the countries. But in 609, they took over Judah. That was the only thing left. Remember, Judah was the southern kingdom, Israel the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom had already been taken captive. Not because they were powerless as far as nations go, but they were powerless as far as God goes. They disobeyed God, and God told them, you're going under. And in 722, boy, they went under one of the most vicious kings you've ever heard of. And if you watch what's happened with the, uh, the uh, Hamas in uh, the area of Gaza and the things that are happening and they did to the people, let me say they're vicious, but when you study what the Assyrians did under their king Sargon II, they call it the Sargonide, you see something you cannot imagine in butchery and just absolute cruelty. And that took the northern kingdom out. The southern kingdom stayed and then Babylon really takes over in my opinion, at the year 609 B.C. Now, 606, Daniel and his three friends go to Babylon, to Babylon, and they are there in the Babylonian University. You can imagine what it was like for them. Babylon was at that point the most beautiful, most elegantly decorated, the most skillfully are built architecturally city in the entire known world. We know nothing like it. We're not going to go into it. I usually, if I'm teaching it in a class or seminary or whatever, we go, we take a tour through Babylon. And it, 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 it was remarkable. Well, these young men are taken there, and most of the people that were taken, there were a lot of other students, students from uh, Assyria and so forth. The students, when they got there, they most of them went woke, you know what that means. They bought into whatever the Babylonian press was producing. But these four did not. And that gives me just a moment uh, that I want to take to talk about why what Alice is doing here is important. It, 
at the line at the Lionel Christian Academy. She's training young men and women to know that there is a God and he's not going anywhere. And as I say, when I preach this uh, second part of chapter two, I title it, he's the boss and God is the boss. And Daniel knew that he's he has all of this opportunity, all of these happening, but he knew when to say no, he knew when to say yes. Sometimes some of us become so uh, uh, straight as followers of Christ, so, so determined we're not going to vary right or left that we, we are, we're straighter than the scriptures are. And Daniel, you're going to see, is a gracious man. And you can understand why eventually he will be the one that God will use to bring Nebuchadnezzar to faith in God. And I'll tell you, that's a huge thing. We have very few accounts like that. Well, we looked at one. We looked at them. They graduated from college. The, and the four Israelis, the four people from, men from Judah, Jews, graduated one through four, magna cum and the three after. When we come to two, we found out last week that uh, the king is there. Now, they are... This is the third year of Nebuchadnezzar when this happens, and uh, or the second year. It's really the third year for him because when you see this in Daniel, you see it says the second. Now in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, they numbered things differently from the Hebrews, the Jews, and the uh, most other nations. They did not count the accession year, the year. If he was made king in, uh, let's say, June, they didn't count June all the way, if we use their, our calendar, all the way through December. They didn't start counting his time until January 1, and that's his first year. But we read the Hebrew text, and they say that he, it, it would be the fourth year. So there's nothing wrong with that. It's just a different number. And so he, in the second year, this is when the... the the graduates, I like to name this also the graduates. Some of you may remember that old movie. movie. I'm glad they aren't, uh, Daniel and his friends weren't like that graduate. But anyway, and the, and the graduate, the four are there, and they're, they're not doing anything. They're wise men junior grade. And wise men junior grade didn't do anything except maybe sharpen the quills and you know, and fill the, they did use ink in some of their writings or, or bake the tablets or whatever they did as freshmen. But something happened that changed all that. In the third year, the year of their graduation of Nebuchadnezzar, the king had a dream. And it was a doozy. And it, it's not that he did not know what he dreamed. We need to know that. We were talking about that today. He knew what he dreamed. In fact, if you look at it, it says, then the king gave orders to, uh, let me go to the first part of one, not there. And Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. Literally in Hebrew, it says at this point, he had dream, this, a dream after a dream after a dream. And the grammar means he had the same dream. He goes to bed, same dreams. He goes to bed. I don't know how long this went. Month, two months. But it really disturbed him, and so finally he gets up, probably in the middle of the night, we do not know, and he says, bring all of my religious and political wise men 
who are called the Kasdim, we call them the Chaldeans. And so they, you could see these guys stumbling into the throne room. Now when the king calls, you go. And they stumble in and rub in their eyes and, you know, they're standing before Nebuchadrezzar. And they stood before the king and he says, I've had this dream and my spirit is anxious. And he says, I want you to tell me the dream and what it means. Now, when they say that, we're verse 3, the king said, now I had a dream and my spirit is anxious to understand the dream. Then in verse 4, then the Chaldean spoke to the king in Aramaic. At this point, Daniel does something that we see rarely in the Bible. It switches from Hebrew to Aramaic. Now, Aramaic looks like Hebrew. If you look at it, I get my, my, my uh, Hebrew text out, and I have Daniel in Aramaic. And, you know, you just think, and I, I thought at one time, oh, it's just like Hebrew. I can translate it. And I, I tried to do that. I, I, I read it like I could read Hebrew. And when I got through, boy, you can't believe what I had. Well, I knew it was what it said in the English text. So anyway, it changes to Aramaic. And we asked the question last week, why? Well, God has a message for all the world, the civilized world, to hear. And they were at that point speaking Aramaic. All of the nations around the Fertile Crescent, even in Israel, they're speaking Aramaic. And so it shows us right here that God in Daniel, perhaps more than any other book except maybe in some of the Psalms of David, is reaching out a world. And really, when he made Israel his nation, he told them, he said, you're not the head of the nation, you're the tail, but I'm making you so that you'll be a flag unto me. Everybody will know me through you. Well, they very seldom made that happen. Eventually they will. But God is going to get to the, to the nations, and he's going to do that by first giving them the language. That's a huge thing. We, we in, in America, all of us you know, speak English, and that's really a good thing. And we don't have to worry a lot. But there are a lot of nations, if, if you only speak one language, you don't understand anything. Well, then you, in that kind of situation, eventually you wind up with a lingua franca, the nation, the, language all nations speak and in that case in that time it was Aramaic it's a classical Aramaic but that's what they spoke in Babylon and so he comes and he tells the cast name he says in verse 3 I had a dream and my spirit is anxious to understand the dream then the cast Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic and that's where it changes O king live forever tell the dream to your servants and we will declare the interpretation you know, they're rubbing their eyes and say, well, we can handle this. I mean, you know, just tell us what it is. Well, Nebuchadnezzar is not the average king. He is no dummy. I don't know what his IQ was, but it was way up there. And he knew these guys lied a lot. In fact, most of these guys are holdover from his father's kingdom, and he didn't trust them at all. And so he this wakes them up. By the way, you... Uh, they're really going to wake up. The king replied to the Chaldeans, the command from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb. Literally in Aramaic it says you will be limbed. They'll put a horse on each arm and a horse on each leg and one around you, <laughs> rope around your neck and one there. And you'll say, well, giddy up. <laughs> and there you'll be. 
And that's, they did that. They, they knew that wasn't an idle threat. And he says uh, that you be torn limb from him and your houses will be made a rubbish heap, as I said last week. Again, in Aramaic, rubbish heap means your house will be made a public bathroom. And that's, yeah, that's exactly what he told them. So realize that. And so they, they come back and say, nobody ever asked us this. And they're all upset about this. And finally, they, they, they're honest about it. They say, in verse 10, it says, there is not a man on earth who could declare the matter for the king inasmuch as no great king or ruler ever asked anything like this of their magicians, conjurers, and Chaldeans. Well, that wasn't really true, but that's what they're saying. But he had every right to ask this. You see, these guys claim to be there talking with the gods. How do we know that? Well, if, you, if we had our model of Babylon here, which is an amazing thing, the walls were wide enough, the outer walls for four chariots to ride around in, co in, co in, in side by side. side by side in column. They could ride the whole thing. Well, they, they, the other thing that you would see, would, you would see something that looked like a pyramid. Have all of you seen pictures of the pyramids in Egypt? You have the three great ones that are in uh, lower Egypt and so forth. Well, they had this thing that looked like a pyramid, but it didn't have a tomb inside, and it's called a ziggurat, and, uh, or an etymonaki, to use their term. And these things were right at about a thousand feet high, or this one. There was only one in Babylon. And it had seven layers that were different colors. And they had steps going up. And every day, the chosen Chaldeans, whether they are conjurers or priests, or religious and political people, a company of them would go all the way to the top and they'd raise their hands and they'd speak to the gods and they'd offer sacrifices. What are you doing? We're communing with the gods. They just said, nobody can do that. Now, <laughs> they just signed their own death warrant. They said, you can't really, you don't really believe we did that. Well, they're in deep trouble. And so the order is given, take them out. And uh, we see at the end of this, uh, at verse 17, at the end of the first section of chapter 2, then Daniel went to his house and informed his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah about the matter. Now, uh, Daniel has already made a request uh, before this. When the word comes to Daniel that it's going to happen, Daniel responds. He replies with discretion in verse 14 to Arioch. Arioch is the one that went to get these highly placed men. Arioch was the head of the secret police. He was also the head of the execution squad. And the king sent him, and so he goes to tell all these kings. Finally, he gets to the graduates, knocks on the door, and I love this scene. you got the four there. I don't know whether it was Daniel. I don't think he went to the door. It was, they, they recognized Daniel as sort of their leader. I think it was probably Hananiah, Mishael, or Azariah who went to the door and opened it. And there stood big, mean Arioch. And he he turns around and says, Daniel, it's for you. <laughs> so Daniel comes. And Daniel asked, we looked at this last week, that he be given time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. Mm -hmm. Now we begin to see something about Daniel here. 
the first thing we see was that he is a man whose faith did not fade with difficult situations. It didn't fade when he found himself in trouble. Secondly, he had a faith that would ask God for the impossible when the impossible was needed. I want to ask you, are we doing that? If we ever needed it, it's right now. I was talking to Phyllis Adam and talking to my son who's very involved in this. Having grown up at the beginning of World War II and hearing all that, as far as we can tell right now, and this is not something that I hold who cares, but a lot of people who know a lot more hold it, we are probably closer to a third world war tonight than we have been in our history. I cannot tell you what's happening, well, I won't, but anyway, it, it is. Well, Daniel's not ready for it, going to be in a war. He's going to be executed. But calmly, he says, let me try. Let me have time to interpret this. Now, that says two things. One, it'll be wonderful if he, wonderful if he does, but if he doesn't, I'm sure Nebuchadnezzar had several other kinds of executions that were a bit more stinging than the one that he would get just a beheading. And so Daniel is not only showing he's trusting, but he is trusting in the worst situation, and he's risking in faith. Faith is a risk, and we need to know that. If we're going to trust God, we are going to risk him for certain things, and he will come through. Amen. And uh, I, I just want you to know this. This is a great book on faith. So uh, the, after that, apparently, uh, he lets him. And Arioch informed Daniel about the matter in 1516. <clears throat> he requested that he be able to uh, well, uh, interpret, if you will. He went in and requested of the king. By the way, verse 16, Daniel did not go into the presence of the king. I don't care what time of night or morning it was. Unless you were asked by the king or you were facing execution by his command, you didn't talk to him. You didn't even go in where he was. So he didn't. But Daniel asked the king, and he probably asked it through him through Arioch. Now, I like Arioch. I know he's an executioner and all this, but he is a typical politician. We'll see that in a moment. And so Daniel went in and requested it, and the king would give him time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and informed his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, about the matter. What did they do then? Say, oh, what have you done, Daniel? You've gotten us, we should have escaped or done something. That's not what they say. Here's the, the other thing we know about Daniel. He not only asked in faith, trusted in faith, but he included those with him who also walked in faith. And who are they going to talk to now? I want us to know that because, you see, when Daniel was taken captive and taken out of Jerusalem, the majority of the people of Judah said, this is a sign that God's not with us if God exists at all. They had, in fact, they, they were having that problem even when they had their, their really good kings. <clears throat> but Daniel, in, through all of this, is trusting God, and now he's in Babylon that has more gods than people. They had all kinds of gods they worshipped. 
But he is going to trust God and he's going to bring the three with him. He did it so that they might, verse 18, request compassion from the God of heaven concerning the mystery so that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. <clears throat> and they're asking God to spare them. Now, God is going to do that. We know that. Daniel knew it was true in faith. Uh, but da Daniel didn't have anything that says, hey, yeah, if you ask, I'm going to do that. He, he's trusting God to do that. But the other thing we're going to find out about Daniel and his friends, they're going to have other time. We're going to see next week the, the uh, other the uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, the other three, have a chance to trust God implicitly when they're about to be cooked alive in one of the blast furnaces. And when they asked, they did not know that God would deliver them. And we'll see that when we get there. And uh, how do they respond? They, Daniel is, I think, fairly sure in faith. God sent him there for a purpose in them, and God's going to spare him, and he will. Now, the next thing we come to is we have the revealing of the dream. We won't go through it again. We went through it last week. But uh, the mystery in verse 19 was revealed. They come together. They requested together. They might request compassion from the God of heaven and so that Daniel and his friends might not be destroyed. The four of them prayed and the mystery was revealed as they prayed. Who was it revealed to? Daniel. Daniel. And now I'm, the other three are great guys, but Daniel's going to receive the mystery. We're going to find out there are very few people like Daniel in the Bible. Maybe only one other who's not the Lord Jesus, of course. He's God-man. Uh, David is a very impressive people, but there's something said about Daniel that's not said about anyone else. It is said when the angel comes to him over in chapter 9, and he says, Daniel, man, oh, greatly appreciated and honored. It's a word that has a lot of meanings by God. Wouldn't that be neat to have an angel come to you? Bobby comes to you and says, Doctor, you're greatly appreciated. I think he does appreciate you. I'm not saying he doesn't. But boy, you, you, I keep that in my, you know, in my, my book of my diary. <laughs> well, Daniel is going to be that kind of guy, and so God reveals it to him. Now, remember how old he is. He's probably under 20. We see a lot of young people have seen them this past week at major universities <coughs> doing things that are just out of their mind. And it's, and I, I'm surprised some of the people that have been pouring millions into our great universities like Harvard and Yale and so forth. Uh, it's amazing that they all of a sudden are surprised by that. If they'd been around them for a while, they'd know that's been coming a long time. And they, their univer our universities have not been turning out godly men. I think every time I hear one of these things, particularly when Harvard is mentioned, you know what the imprimatur of Harvard says? It is here to prepare young men to preach the gospel. Mm -hmm. That's its alma mater. Well, at any rate, 
dangled them whatever they had. They trusted God through this. May we have more. And I want to say that is happening. I should say that in some of our universities. Right now, we know that there are several universities that are having spiritual awakenings. And we need to pray for them because God is on the move. And so we can keep doing that. Anyway, then 19, it says a mystery is revealed and they praise God for revealing the mystery. We won't go into that prayer. You can look at it again. And uh, we come to verse 24. Now, in verse 24, we have Daniel ready to go to the king. And this is the second part of chapter 2. Now, Daniel is one who had every reason. Think back on Daniel. Daniel is living in Jerusalem. He's nobility. The Bible tells us those that went got to go to Nebuchadnezzar's university were top grass, not only in academic, academically, but also economically and everything. But when the Babylonians came in, we suspect that they put to death many or most of the families. They, they, they were like any other country, nation, that is believed might is right. We do not know that happened. Daniel's parents, though, are never mentioned. Neither are the others. And yet, Daniel doesn't get angry with the Babylonians or with God. Every time I come on this passage, I think of a writer I really respect, but wish he'd turn another way. His name is Ellie Wiesel. Any of you know who Ellie Wiesel is? Well, he, Elie Wiesel is a, not only a, a writer, he is a, a philosopher. Uh, he wrote a book called All Rivers Lead to the Sea, and it's a great book. But Elie Wiesel was cast into a concentration camp during World War II with his family. Every member of his family was executed. Mm-hmm. And it was a horrendous thing. And Elie Wiesel, when he came out, said this. He said, I shall never forgive or stop rebelling against those who caused this tragedy, this holocaust. And he uses the term holocaust in German. And he says, I shall never quit rebelling or forgive those who created this cause this holocaust and he adds it with this line even God and you go well you can almost feel with him you know I'm thinking I'm hearing these families now talk about their the, the children their mother they were they were slaughtered but Ellie Wiesel says this, and let me say in saying that, he's not out of the way of the common thinking. He just said it very eloquently. But Daniel? Daniel never did that. In fact, Daniel, if you go over to chapter 9, verse 4, says this, I pray to the Lord my God and confess and say, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him, and keep his commandments. Don't take that away because he did what Elie Wiesel did not. Mm-hmm. 
You say, how did he do that? He do it. He did it because he knew who God was and he knew who ran the show. God is sovereign Lord. And God sometimes lets terrible things happen. But he is going to take care of those who are caught in this, who trust in him, either here or he will take them home. And so this is something to know about Daniel. Daniel has gone through all of this. Vesels hates him. Daniel is there saying, God, use me how you want to use me. I say that to you because I do not know what's going to happen to this republic and this nation that we love. And uh, when I talk to some of the people who are far more involved in what's going on than we are, or I am anyway, uh, it, it really is a frightening thing. And I do not know what the future is going to bring for us. But I know that we want our approach to the future to be Daniel's approach. That, Lord, we trust you no matter what comes or what happens. I want to say that to you with all sincerity. We, we'll talk about that some later. Anyway, so we're back to this, and Daniel, with all of this, has been gracious enough, first, not to be executed, secondly, to get an audience with the king. And then he prays this wonderful prayer in Daniel 2 with his friends. God has already told him what the mystery is about. Therefore, we read in verse 24, Daniel went in to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. And he went and spoke to him as follows, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me into the king's presence, and I will declare the interpretation to the king. Now, I suspect Daniel had had some contact with Master Arioch before this. If not, he got, got supernaturally worked there because this guy's not used to listen. King says, kill him. You go kill him. But he says this. That, but Arioch also had a standing with the king. And I love the next line. Then Arioch hurriedly brought Daniel into the king's presence. Not to behead him, he brings him. I love this guy. He's a real politician. Listen to what he says. He's, he says uh, to him, I have found a man among the exiles of Judah. I, me, Ariot, got it, Lord. <laughs> I'm so good. Yeah, I'm so good. That's right. I'm so good. I've wondered what happened to Ariot along the way. I hope he became a believer. We don't know that, but that would be nice. He comes in. I have found a man among the exiles of Judah who can make the interpretation known to the king. Then the king said to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar. That's finally we hear Daniel's Babylonian name. Uh, are you able to make known to me the dream which I've seen and its interpretation? I love Daniel's answer. There's places in the Bible I'd like to be able to watch. Not to be part of, maybe executed, but just to hear. Listen to his answer. Now, I've already said they, that Daniel was a man of faith and, and he was a man of determination. He was very bold in his faith. But he also is a man who is completely honest. He's not going to try to use clever words to 
cover things up. He takes no credit whatsoever. That's right, and he's humble. He's and humble. The humility here is huge. Daniel answered before the king. Uh, he says, he says, this is in verse 27, for the mystery about which the king has inquired, neither wise men, conjurers, magicians, nor diviners are able to declare it to the king. What he's just said is, no, I can't do it. Neither can these guys. And these guys, I can see them going, okay, the game's over. <laughs> but Daniel's not through. As we follow Christ and walk with the Lord, one of the most important things we do is walk in humility. And that means, first and foremost, we give glory and credit to all that happens that blesses us to God. And he's doing that. And I love it. I, I can see there's not a... But there are, in this book of Daniel, there are several places you have a however, but, and this is the first however. I love it. He says to him, however, in verse 28, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. Now, he does two things here. Now, let me finish the verse. This was your dream and the vision in your head while you were on your bed. The first thing he says is, let me tell you how you got this. There is a God in heaven. I personally think that Nebuchadnezzar, as smart as he was, brilliant guy, and put up with all the gods of Babylon had been wondering about that. I don't know that that's true, but usually God's Spirit begins to prepare us. And you know, I, I can remember when I trusted Christ. You may remember when you did. Well, I promise you, we, we didn't all of a sudden one day sit down and somebody says, you need to trust in Jesus. Yeah, I want to do it. No, God prepares us. He, he works through our unbelief. Well, that's what we have here, that he... and. The thing we see with this is that God has revealed the mystery and made it known to the king. That, however, we can't do it, but God can. Now, I want to say this starts him on his journey to trust the Lord. He's not there yet. He's going to, you know, he's going to build a big idol to himself. Well, he said, oh, I'm still worshiping God. And finally, he, he's going to, um, you know say that he really is uh, the one who built it all. He's walking out, and we'll see this, he's walking out on one of his balconies in his palace, and he's looking at this, at this great Babylon that I have built. Oops. And God, yeah, God said, oops. <laughs> and God has him struck, and he winds up out in the pastures with the mumanus and the animals. And we'll see that when it comes, but it starts here because you have a man of faith who's bold, who's humble, and he does this. Uh, and he says, you're going to see what's going to happen in latter days. Now, as for you, O king, while you are on your bed, your thoughts turn to what would take place in the future. And this tells us God was working on him. And who he reveals mysteries to, made known to you, what will take place. But as for me, this mystery has not been revealed to me from any wisdom residing in me more than any other living man. I love it, the humility. 
you see, it'd be easy to say, well, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, we, we of course learn these things. <laughs> he doesn't. He says, there's no living man that would know this without God giving it to him. And we need to know that. I'm sure you do, but I, I need to know that a lot. We, my wife and I have talked about it. She and I, we, we walk every day and pray. Well, we shortened our walk. We were just around because it was raining. But you say, isn't it wonderful that God has given us this? He gives us these wonderful things. And I'm looking at the rain saying, yeah, I guess that's wonderful. <laughs> but we want to be like Daniel. Every good thing God gives us. Everything he and he gives it to him. And so he says this, But as for me, the mystery, I couldn't reveal it to you. And no other living man could do it, that you may understand the thoughts on your bed. You, O king, were looking, and behold, there was a single great statue. We'll start in this tonight, but I want to deal a bit with the statue here. Some of you have been through Daniel with us before, but I want to add something in. When he starts talking to Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, he is going to give him the rest of the history through this day till the end of human history that is prosecuted and carried on by nation, some that follow God and some that hadn't, because there is a king coming. And we're going to see this in this chapter. And he's going to not be called the king here. He's going to be called the great rock. And it's going to fill the earth. And what he's saying is, kingdoms are going to go on. Nations are going to go on. There's coming a time. It's all going to disappear. I one time uh, titled a message on this, and I still like to use it. Without a trace, eventually all of the United States, England, Iran, good, bad, and different, the nations themselves and their power will disappear like dust, and they'll be without a trace. And that tells you this is about us. And God is revealing that here, and that is why this book is so maligned. Satan doesn't like this book, because he's part of the dust pile. At any rate, back at this. So Nebuchadnezzar, I'm going to tell you. And he begins to tell him, and he starts with a single great stature. <coughs> In the Bible, there are two great statues. Well, there are a lot of small ones. Most idols, when you get into a society that is uh, believes in idols and uh, believes that God can... <coughs> live in an idol or he can be shaped like an idol have them in the form of sometimes an animal but many times the form of a person they worship these and Babylon had plenty of them but there are two major idols in the Bible and it will be in history one has been it's this one and another will be this single great statue is in Babylon and we're going to see it in chapter 3. And uh, it's uh, the king is going to make this idol, and it's going to be him. What it really says is, uh, God, we're going to make something, uh, and, and we're going to become gods like you, and, and th this is our symbol of our marvelous humanity. The second one is found in the last book of the Bible. 
the, yes ma'am, the Revelation, chapter 13. The Revelation, remember the Antichrist, we've, some of you have gone through that with us, and boy, if it's not forming up now, as my friend Robin, Hayden Robinson used to say, if God doesn't come soon, he's going to miss a good chance. Anyway, the, the uh, Revelation that presentation is uh, that the Antichrist He's going to take over everything, and then he's going to have an idol or a statue built of himself. And we used to laugh about things like that, but let, let's point out two things with that when we get there, and we'll mention it again. First, the idol that is he wants built is an idol of himself, and Satan is going to speak through this idol. But it also is going to be activated by other things. Anybody uh, studied much about uh, artificial intelligence recently? Oh, yeah. That's where it is, artificial yeah. intelligence. Yeah. Yeah, we worked with it when I was in the space program, but this is, you, I just read an article last week where they, they believe now that they have the, uh, people there certain groups believe they have the ability to construct a model of a human being that could answer to you. And they'll know so much about Jim Foster that he can, they can build an, an idol with artificial intelligence that will sense your greatest need and, 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 and it can really respond to you. Well, I'm not sure that is going to happen, but there will be a, finally a great idol, and I think he first will be of artificial intelligence. I think that's very near. And then finally, Satan is going to be able to make him speak. And that is what we're going to see. And we're going to see the first one built here on the plain of Dur. By the way, if you went to where modern Babylon, or where Babylon was, it's not modern. Babylon is a ruin that will never be built again. The Bible says that. It's, it's destroyed. And it's not coming back. But... If you go there, one of the things you see is a platform and a pedestal that archaeologists uh, who really don't believe the Bible much at all do believe that he built this thing, and it was right there. So that's what he's going to see. It, i got a second that will go on. He says that there will be an, a, a single great statue, and that statue, which was large and of extraordinary splendor, was standing in front of you, and its appearance was awesome. Now, he's going to build what he sees. God gives him this to give him a map of history. That's what we want. But he sees, no, that's me. Well, I'm telling you, I'm going to tell everybody. Anyway, the head of the statue is made of fine gold. Its breast and its arms are silver. Its belly and its thighs of bronze. Its thighs of bronze. Its legs of iron. Its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. Now, that's the idol. The question is, what is that? And he's going to interpret that, and we'll look at that next time, but very briefly... It starts with him. God starts his picture of the rest of history with Babylon and with this, this head of gold, and that's Nebuchadnezzar. By the way, we're going to see this uh, litany or list of uh, nations in another chapter over in chapter 7.
But it's not going to be a head of gold and arms of silver. What's it going to be? It's going to be a beast. It's a multi-faced beast. At any rate, he says this. So the first thing ahead of gold, which is Babylon, we will see next week. The next one, that its arms are silver. And that is the Medo-Persian Empire. We'll talk a little bit about them. And uh, then you have the uh, belly and thighs of bronze, which is Greece. And I love to study Greece. Uh, it's uh, fascinating. And they became a very great power for a very short time. Then it has two legs of iron, like all human figures, it has two legs. And these, this is the Roman Empire, both its eastern and western side. We'll talk briefly about that. And then its feet are made of iron and clay. There are ten nations that are going to come together, but they're going to have a hard time getting along. My opinion, they have already begun to form with the EU, and uh, I um, have a whole collection of uh, stuff on the EU and, and on Israel being attacked. I want to bring, it's about that thick, I want to bring the things that I've collected just in the last 10 years about the threats against Israel and what the EU plans to do and all of that. But we'll see that next week. The feet, and of course, the, the feet of clay and iron, they have ten toes, so ten nations. And uh, but what we really want to get to is that then the iron, the clay, and uh, first verse 34, let's go there. You continued looking until a stone was cut out without hands, and it struck the statue on its feet on the iron and the clay and crushed them. Literally, the Aramaic there crushed it to dust, powder. Then the iron, the clay, and the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed all at the same time. Became like chaff from the summer thrashing floor, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain that filled the whole earth. And we'll look at the interpretation of that next time. I just want to encourage us this morning by talking about the mountain that's going to fill the earth. There used to be an ad on television that says, uh, I think it was Prudential Insurance, that says, have a piece of the rock. Well, all I'm going to say to you as a follower of Christ, we won't have a piece of the rock. We will be part and in the rock. And he will never perish. And it won't be a cave. I want you to say, uh, my, my pastor in Fredericksburg is preaching right now. And John, John 14 is wonderful. Uh, he talks about uh, the Father is going to prepare a place for us in John 14. And uh, in my father's house are many rooms, mansions, and these are well decorated. If it were not so, I would have said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself. And so, when all these kings are gone, by, by the way, Babylon's gone. No more Babylon. Greece, as far as being a powerful nation, has grown gone, but I don't think it's gone the way it's going to be in the end. But Babylon is kaput no more. But we are going to have this kingdom that is 
and we're going to be part of it, and we're going to be in his presence. And that presence will be like nothing we can imagine. And of course, it, it's going to last, it's going to fill the earth, and then we're going to have a new heaven and earth and all of that. But what we see in Daniel is God gives four young men, and particularly one of them, the map of the rest of our story. We want to thank him for that.